A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by David Walker of the Daily Mirror and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. So, Manchester City can't compete financially. Pull the other one, Pep. United got Sanchez for nothing. Really, Jose? The reality is the rest are struggling to keep up. United are at Wembley on Wednesday. It's the start of a decisive fortnight for Tottenham. How good are they, David? We'll see over the next two, three weeks or so because I think you've got to look at Tottenham as a work in progress. I think they've reached the point now where for the rest of this season they have to deliver and will be judged on that. And this is down to individual judgments about Pochettino, about the way his team sets up and play because they are an exciting product. He's done a lot of really good work and what you hear in the game is that he is an outstanding coach but he now needs to get the end product which obviously is getting to finals and winning trophies. I also think that within that there is a situation of his own future and the future of some star players that the Tottenham board do not start thinking of selling people. Yeah, Real Madrid. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Real Madrid... I would imagine, uh, are eyeing up Pochettino as a, as a future manager. We know that. And Deli Alli is a player that's uh, got a new agent, has strong connections with Spanish football, with the super club. So, so you, could, you can see what might happen is in the future. Is that inevitable, do you think, Adrian? No, because Deli Alli is not in Real Madrid form. I mean, Real Madrid have been in shocking form this season. But if you understand where I'm coming from, he is not playing well enough to earn himself a mega move at the moment. I think he has to... Uh, deliver on a more consistent basis. At the moment, he's a tremendous talent that has burst onto the scene uh, wonderfully, but he's stagnated. A little bit like the team, let's be honest. I think Spurs are in that little bit of a transitional period at the moment. Uh, we know that they've got a great first eleven, but are the board ambitious enough yeah. to kick on and, and sign the players that Pochettino needs to, to stay with the rest? And I think the jury is, is, is out on that. Um, this is a really interesting period for Spurs. They've got issues, I think, in, in central midfield. Actually, I think that, that is the problem. If we're looking at it tactically, going forward, they're going to score. They're going to score bundles of goals. Uh, defensively, pretty sound. Not as good without Alderweireld. But centre midfield, the heart, the cornerstone of those two excellent seasons they had, has not been great this season. Mm. You know, I also think, Mike, that, and I think a lot of Tottenham fans have seen this as well. They see the direct comparison with, with their neighbours, Arsenal. OK, hated neighbours, but the promise of the new stadium, what it would mean, how the capacity goes up, what the income would drive, and how they don't have to be perceived as a selling club. 
because there's always been a perception if the bid got big enough, eventually Daniel Levy would, I say crap, would accept, I can't say no to it. Mm. The whole purpose of this is now hang on to Pochettino, hang on to these star players. Now, the simple fact is, if your star player decides that he's going to get aggressive about getting out the door, he's he'll gone. get out the door. Yeah. So that's why you need people nailed down and happy to be there. Now, there's a lot of promises have been made. So we said the next few weeks will decide this season and then there's a bigger picture into next season where you'll actually look at, are Tottenham really now in that, the top four clubs in, in England? Is it possible to be logical and prudent and still compete these days. Yeah, because what you do is, what Alex Ferguson did with Cristiano Ronaldo and got him twice to go one more year until you've accepted you've got to let him go out to the building and then you've bought time to plan for the future. That's what the game is. Yeah, look, his man management has been excellent so far. He's kept a lot of very talented players happy on relatively low salaries. Um, but the caveat is they want to be part of a winning team. And they have been, haven't they, the last couple of years? Obviously, should have been runners-up the year Leicester won it last year, they were. Uh, this year, it, if they do finish outside the top four, a number of those players are going to think, actually, are we going anywhere? Even I don't think players are bothered about the stadium. I genuinely don't. Mm. Then they'll be that fussed about, oh, I have to stay at Spurs because we're getting a new stadium. They want to be part of winning teams. And, and if they're not getting the right messages from the club's hierarchy, mm. then no. they know. They would then fear the manager will be off. And that, I think, is a real but problem. Adrian, the, I, I'm using the stadium as, as an issue for this. The stadium helps you generate money. Yeah, we know that Tottenham's wages, traditionally, and I'm not saying there may have been one or two exceptions, are traditionally lower than the rest. There is a limit if you're going to be a Champions League club for how long the gang of players, your group, will accept that. So that's where yeah. suddenly you're going, do you know what, we are, we're respecting what the players are worth here because we're paying you better. But as a player, Adrian, you know that football's not a jam tomorrow exercise. You want jam today, don't you? You do, you do. And you never know what's going to happen. Um, so many players and managers have stayed put too long. And then the chance has gone for them to kick on to the highest level. We'll get on to Arsenal later, don't yeah. we? <laughs> well, I'm actually thinking, the, the thing that came to my mind was it was going towards the lower leagues with Phil Brown at South End, recently been sacked. He, he was very successful for, for a period, could have probably moved on to higher, higher things, didn't. And now he's been sacked. And now, now where does he go? And I'm not saying that the Spurs players are not going to find big clubs to go to when they leave Spurs. But sometimes you just have to strike when, when you're hot. And, uh, yeah, a number of those players, your Ericsson's of this world, the Toby Alderweireld's will be looking, and Deli Alley potentially will be looking and thinking, oh, are we actually going to win things here? How long is Pochettino going to stay? They need to deliver this season. I think the FA Cup is massive for them. Um, and it might, it might be the only thing that... that persuade some of those guys to stick around. Mm, they've got Manchester United on Wednesday, mm. as we've mentioned, Liverpool on Sunday. Let's look at United. What were your first impressions of Sanchez there? I can see why they've done it in the, what he adds, and he does have this proven, well, experienced head on him, and you can see the way he's slotted in. I think, to a degree, probably Marcus Rashford's gone backwards this season, mm. and I don't mean that disparagingly completely, it's just part of the development of a young player. But they've had this, these wide players who are trying to cut in off there and, and, and link up with Lukaku, and Martial and Rashford are very similar at the levels that they're playing at. And really, Jose Mourinho gets a tune out of one of them for a month or six weeks, and then he seems to go backwards and the other one comes on. So I can see why they've done it. 
And I've got to say that the you know the wages are uh, are outrageous, but if you're going to be into that market, and Manchester United can afford to be in it. They've done it now. I think it does improve United's team. Uh, yeah. You've seen him a lot at Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him an awful lot. And he can be wasteful in possession. He was frustrating for a lot of Arsenal supporters. <laughs> the bottom line is, he smells goals. Whether he's scoring them or he's creating them, he is a player that in the final third, in the moments that really matter, makes good decisions. And the stats bear this out. You look at the chances he creates. He's not really known as a chance creator, is he, Alexis Sanchez? Um, he is head and shoulders above any Manchester United player for chances created this season. Man United are sixth when it comes to having shots, having uh, creating chances as a team. That will change. They'll be up there with their rivals now in terms of peppering the goal. And if they... Re- Retain the efficiency of actually scoring them. They're going to they're going to fly. I think Alexis is is there's a there's a part of me that wonders was last season a one hit wonder in terms of his goal output. He was he was late tw- mid to late twenties. Doesn't often do that. So he might be a fifteen goal a season man. But I'll tell you what, he will pep up that attack big time and create hatfuls for others. Mm, do you think? Lingard will benefit from it. He's had a great season, 12 goals. No, I think he's benefiting already. Lingard, there's been a positional change with Lingard. He's been given this freedom to play centrally. And what's happened, you think about the last few years since Fergie, they've been slow, haven't they, Manchester Mm. United? Springing attacks. Lingard is a bundle of energy. He's quick, he runs around a lot, and he's now got the confidence to score goals, to create goals. And he is the guy taking them up the, up the middle of the pitch, particularly on the counter. I think he, he's come of age, Lingard, this season. He, I don't, can't see him losing his place. I think he will stay. Alexis will be one side, and then it's who's going to play on the other. Mm. Jose Mourinho signed his new contract. Mm. Does that actually alter anything? I think it does, in the sense of it's a, a display by the board, or particularly from the Glazer family, that they want Jose to stay. Because, you know, not too many weeks ago, the park the bus mentality was causing <laughs> outrage among Man United faithful. You know, mm. they, they, they weren't happy with what happened in the Manchester derby, not just losing to City Old Trafford, but the actual tactical approach. So I think this does demonstrate the Ed Woodward view that we're with Jose, Jose's with us, we're going forward. The investment, you know, in Sanchez emphasises that. And I've got to say... In recent weeks, and you, uh, yeah, it was only Yeovil, but you suddenly saw some of the breakaways they were doing where if there were three defenders, they were to go four on three and attack you and it would be five on four and they were doing it. But the other side of it is, OK, you let Jose's contract run on. Who are you going to replace him with? Now, arguably the one in the tradition of the Man United sort of way of playing just happens to be employed at Manchester City right now because Pep would have been the Mm. dream appointment to bring that sort of football to United. Mm. But clearly it's not going to happen and probably never will happen. Mm. So in the current thing and the current world we're living in, you can see why they've gone with Jose. Do you see, you know, you've got uh, Michael Carrick going on to the coaching staff Mm. at the end of the season. Now, uh, speaking to some people around the club last week and they made the point... This is almost going back to the future, if you like. Fergie promoted from within. Carrick has got... If you look at him as a footballer, he almost plays like a coach, doesn't he? <laughs> He's immaculate, isn't he? Yeah, as yeah. A football, I've always been a big fan of, of Michael Carrick. Yeah, like I, said, I think it's a really sensible appointment. You just want that face that's familiar with Manchester United, don't you? Some of those guys have now moved on, haven't they, that were there for, for donkey's years. So now I think it's... 
it's a wise appointment. Whether that's Jose's call or whether it's the it's the board looking long term, I don't know. But yeah, I think it's it's great. It's similar to Arsenal actually, with Per Mertesacker about to take over the Arsenal Academy at the end of the oh. season. I, I think it's logical. Um, you want good football people around the club, people who are synonymous with the with the club. And uh, yeah, no, it makes sense. I, I think Jose. It, Look, they didn't have to give him a new deal, but it just takes away any doubt that he's moving mm. on. And, uh, yeah, it's probably a smart move. You know, on the Michael Carrick thing, one thing that struck me was, by his own admission a few weeks ago, Paul Scholes revealed he had applied to be the coach of the United Under-23 team and didn't get the oh, job. Right. Mm. Okay. Now, what slightly intrigued me about that, and it may be Nicky Butt had to declare an interest here, but both from the class of 92 and mm. business partners, etc., they, uh, Nicky Butt is now in charge of the whole United development thing. Now, the Michael Carrick, as it was presented, and we'll see if it works this way, Carrick is supposed to be working with the first team next season, which I do sense would be a Jose Mourinho appointment. I can't imagine mm. the club parachuting somebody in to work with the first team. But if you look at it, so you've got an outstanding United midfielder with a great knowledge of the game and highly respected in football, is parachuted in to work with the United first team, but they still keep Paul Scholes out. I do find that an intriguing scenario. Mm. Talking of intriguing scenarios, as I said, Spurs are at Liverpool mm. on Sunday. Uh, they've got Huddersfield. Can they afford a third successive defeat? <laughs> Liverpool? Mm. Uh, not really. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to make of Liverpool. Every time you think they've taken a big step forward, they, they, they muck it up, don't they? And, and Jurgen Klopp, more specifically, mucks it up because he messes around with his team all the time defensively. He needs to settle on a back four. I do not understand why he's not doing it. Going forward, we know how good they are. We've talked, we've waxed lyrical about it over and over. But defensively, it's not rocket science. Pick a back four that you trust and, and stick with it. Let them work together and develop. He chopped and changed. I mean, Moreno should be nowhere near the team. He should be third or fourth choice left back. Mignolet. No Liverpool fan wants him in the team, so don't mm. put him in. Mm. Uh, there was a really interesting cameo in that game where I think, despite all the VAR nonsense, which yeah. we'll talk about mm. later, I think there were six players offside and he still was really wobbly under a high ball, nearly threw it in. That's under a high ball. He's shot to bits, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he needs to start again somewhere. Liverpool fans do not trust him. I was at Anfield not that long ago. Every time the ball went into the box, people around me were panicking. I was oh. like, what, what are you worrying about? But it's because it was midday, and that, and that just rubs off on everyone around them. Carius isn't convincing, is yeah. he, as, as a deputy? So, But, but Mark, we, we've sat on, this, <laughs> on the city talking about the flaws in the Liverpool team, irrespective of who's being picked at any point. And we've gone, they've got to get a dominant centre-half, ideally, who can move as well, you know, with, with a degree of athleticism. And they've got him. Now, I accept Van Dijk probably needs carefully managing because he's, he's short of match practice through the season and came in late. To be fair, first couple of games, he he's was excellent. Fine. Yeah. But we still said, and they need the goalkeeper. Yeah, I'll give an example. If Liverpool had gone and signed Jordan Pickford last summer from Sunderland, mm. they'd be in a miles better shape as a team. When you look what mm. the kid's done at Everton with, with a pretty rocky team around him, he looks outstanding. And you just, you're just you not going to get away thinking you're going to be a top-four Premier League team if you've got a liability in goal. And, that, and, and the fact is, when Carrius arrived, he thought he was, it was presented to him to be first choice. And he doesn't look like a solution. Isn't that one of the many lessons from Manchester City? They had... Claudio Bravo, last season, who was all over the shop. Yeah. You've now got Edison, 
He plays in the way that Pep wants. He oozes authority. Everyone around him trusts him. Mm. Yeah, Jobs well, they made a decisive decision because it couldn't have been easy for Pep Guardiola, especially in the wake of effectively binning Joe Hart, a popular oh. figure, to then uh, realise that the guy he's binned him for is useless. He was like the polo mint, wasn't he? Everything was going through him. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, but they made a quick decision. Edison is, is such a, a level above and you, uh, Liverpool need to do the same thing. Klopp has got a blind spot with his back four and defence and, and I'm amazed the coach of his experience and success is so naive when it comes to not realising that a settled back foreign keeper lays the platform for everything. Mm. Pep's been putting the begging bowl out. Yeah. Uh, let's look at that realistically. You know, there was a £150 million, he was linked with a £150 million bid mm. for Hazard at the weekend. Mm. Uh, you've got Amaric Laporte turning up uh, today or tomorrow, mm. £57 million. Mm. They've got the wonderfully named Fred, the Brazilian could be turning out for 35 million. Mm. I wish I had some of that poverty. Indeed. And I think if you look at it, the, the one they need, and they do accept this, they've been looking from last summer, they need the centre-back because clearly there are issues over Vincent Company, for instance, his injury record, how long he can keep going for, and there are other issues over fitness and form around the squad at centre-back. So I can see why they do that. And I always think the best time to buy is when you're at the top of the table running away with the league because you actually have got time to bed people in and get them to understand it. The one thing about the, the begging bowl, and I think the slight context that he put this in was tied to the Sanchez deal yeah. and we can't compete with that. Now, the one thing I'd say that I can see a logic here is if you have in your building Sergio Aguero, David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne and the way he's playing Raheem Sterling and you shatter the pay policy in the way that it would appear signing Sanchez would, you could be yeah. creating an awful lot of problems. Yeah, but let's, with let's be realistic. Spy. They have got the ultimate blank check there. They have, yeah. but, but at the same time, yeah, look, you would have to rip up almost everybody's contract. Correct. You yeah. see the deal that Kevin De Bruyne got, it's about half of what yeah. Alexis Sanchez About 200, wasn't it? Yeah. Mike, you, the, the, your salary in a football club is driven by the highest earner. So I'm not now saying yeah. that. Walker at right back is going to suddenly get. No, they're not. But the whole thing starts doing this. And, and the fact is, those boys who've delivered deserve to be on parity with his star. But I mean, look at what Aguero's delivered for them down the years. And Pep might have had his issues with him. But you look at what that guy does. And you've got to say, well, he's got to be on the same money as Sanchez. I fully understand what they've done. Yeah. Um, but you're right about the defence. We all know that. I, I still can't see them winning the Champions League with Stones or Otamendi. Because even though they've both been better this year, you, if you notice, whenever they have been put under quite a bit of pressure, whenever anyone has got at them, both have made mistakes oh, quite frequently. So I just think the, the true elite of European football might find those two out. Laporte, uh, I, I do a bit of work on La Liga. I've seen him a fair bit. Not every week, but I have been impressed by him. Mm. And I think he is a defender of, of superior quality to those two at this stage of their career. So, um, yeah, Stones has still got that potential, of course. But yeah, I think Laporte's a good, a good signing. Yeah, it comes from a fantastic club. You know, they only, as we know, select Bars players. Their scouting is ama amazing. Mm. Youth policy is terrific. The one thing that I'm always struck by is that very, very few players leave that club. Mm because they're happy there, they're well-paid there. So that, to me, tells me that Laporte's got real ambition. 
Yeah, well, of course he has. Yeah, it's, maybe it's a slight surprise that Real Madrid or Barcelona haven't come in for him before now. I think it's easier for Bilbao to sell to England yeah. than it is to those that, two. That, that would explain it. Yeah, look, yeah, it's a good club. They're not having a great season, actually. They're, they're, they're lower to mid-table. Um, but no, look, I think he's a, a grisly defender, but, but also reads the game well. He's just a proper defender, and I think City can do with that. He's clearly got the footballing ability as well to play out from the back, which is key for City. So no, look... Good acquisition. It's gonna it's gonna improve them again. They're gonna win the league at a canter this year, and uh, gonna be very hard to stop over the next few seasons. Yeah, sadly, one way they're trying to stop them is basically, <coughs> to be frank, kick them up in the air. Mm. When Pep came out after the Cardiff game and basically was pleading for more protection, did you understand where he was coming from? I understand where he's coming from. I hope he meant it protection for all players, not just Manchester City players, because I think what the context you've got to put it in is some of the tackling by Cardiff City, and particularly Bennett's attempt to... I mean, that the, 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 the ball when he chopped Sane down, I mean, that was like a GBH attack. The ball's four or five yards the other side of where he's hit him. It's like a kung fu attack. I always remember the worst I've ever seen, and it is appalling when you re revisit it. There was a guy known as the Beast of Bilbao, Goga Chair, yeah. who chopped down Diego Maradona. And Maradona's played a ball away and he's knocked it. And he just literally, it's a kung fu attack on the side of his knee and did his knee ligaments. But you watched that at the weekend. Now, where I was slightly troubled is that in some of his pre-match sort of press stuff, Neil Warnock, the Cardiff manager, is talking about we don't want to show him too much respect and I want to have a bit of devil about how we play. Now, for me, and knowing Neil's history, that's almost a euphemism for what was then going to happen. Get about him. Yeah. And I then... think that's harsh. I, I... Well, no, no. I, he I, doesn't I... want to... He didn't tell his players to go and, go and two-foot them down the side of the leg, did he? I didn't say that. No. I'm saying Neil Warnock has a record mm. and has admitted mm. to giving instructions like when Trevor Francis runs on in a Sheffield derby. Right, boys, is here, do him. Mm. Now, if you're going to have a manager who's giving instructions like that, where the League Managers Association have got a list of reports from touchlines about comments made that are deemed to be improper and winding players up. The danger is mm. some young Turk playing for him will yeah. do what he's, what he's asking him yeah, to I, do. Look, yeah, I don't know about the, the historical things like that. I, 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 maybe in the past. I just don't, I don't see him telling people to go out and do him. I don't think managers... No, I think what he probably would say was, look, go and compete. Yeah, and but compete he, hard. He would, he, what he should have said, Warnock, afterwards was, look, my fella, that was out of order, that was a shocking tackle, mm. and he was lucky he didn't get red carded. For him to just brush it off and say, what did you expect? You were going to be physical? Mm. That was, a, that was no, wrong. I've, I've got and, and the player himself did apologise, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. In one interview I saw, Neil Warnock did say okay. it was out of order and he could have gone for the yeah. first one. He yeah. has said okay, fine. My perspective is, through watching Neil's career for so many years, is that was exactly the sort of performance and what has happened. And you can have the video replay of any number of issues where Neil has got a very competitive team that on occasions goes too far with mm. tackles like what, that. What about the line he came up with? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> what about the line he did come up with? Well, you know, it's England, expect it. Uh... I, again, I think it's wrong to say expect it if he means expect those kind of tackles because mm. we don't want that in in, in football, yeah. not in English football. We don't want to be known as as, as the country that where our defenders are butchers. No, that's not the way forward. I actually don't think 
there is a great deal of that going on. I mean, especially compared to when I was playing, and then you go 10, 15 years before I was playing in the 90s, in the 70s and 80s. It was absolutely horrific, wasn't it, some of the some of the tackling. No, I'd like to see more aggression. I'd like to see referees more tolerant of aggressive play. But we don't want, yeah, we don't want, we don't want dangerous tackles like that in the game. And uh, look, the, the boy Bennett, I think he's realised he took it too far there. Yeah, to be fair to him, he apologised. And, and actually, to be fair to Neil Warnock, I don't think he would say go out there and you know. I don't make think that I sort said of that, Mike. No, no, no. But but just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, to be absolutely. Honest. No, no. Can I just say, I'll make it abundantly clear. Neil, in his career, has a reputation for getting his teams wound up, and as he admit, going into games high energy high commitment and the danger is something goes too yeah. far, which yeah. I felt it did If yesterday. I'm a Cardiff fan, and I agree, you can't go too far, but if I'm a Cardiff fan, I want my team to play like that against City. I don't want them to stand off and be all respectful. I think the only way to, to what, try and be... But not them is like to... that, not like that. Tackle. Aggressive, aggressive, but not like that, of no. course. Okay. No. What about the other one? You know, we've had uh, Mazuaku mm. at West Ham, uh, the spitting incident at the weekend... As a pro, what's worse in your opinion? A potential leg break tackle yeah, yeah. or being spat in the face? Well, no brainer. It's obviously the leg break and tackle's worse. You, you could ruin your career. You could be out for a season. Um, you could just wipe off spit. It's, it's disgusting. We know that. It's horrendous. Anyone ever spit at you? Um, no, thankfully. <laughs> um, uh, and do you know what? I think I think it might have happened in in training with with one of the, one of the lads and and it, it was sort of one of those where he spat near me and I was of the mind that I think you've tried to spit at me but it was one of those where it was borderline so so I didn't take it further oh. but I remembered it um, yeah it was a strange incident um, but no I think if you're a player and you're spat at it, you're within your rights to rear up oh. and have a you know maybe get physical with the player. Um, but but no, a leg break is far worse. Do you know what? I can remember, it must be now mid to late 80s, where uh, an, an English club, in matches this was, got warned, they were formally warned about the number of players. They had players spitting at opponents as they ran by them in games. Mm -hmm. And almost like this was part of a, a mm. provocation. And, the, and it was the PFA. Never heard that. The PFA, no, the PFA sent the letter to the club and to the PFA rep saying, Hang on, we are aware now of a number of complaints. And it was almost like an incitement that would you react to it, etc. And people were just looking, mm. thinking this wasn't, you know, a direct, you know, contact. There's been a nasty tackle and somebody's yeah. had a go. They were just running passion doing yeah. it. It was It's it involuntary. It's none of it's ever pre-planned. It's just an anger thing. Uh, some people, when they're angry, lash out. They'll kick someone or mm. they'll punch someone or push them. Some people, we wouldn't be among them, but some people... Spit, and I, I can't get my head around it. And I think it's right that the punishment is severe. Um, but but if you compare the ban that Masuako is going to get compared to with with Bennett, who's going to get a, a one match ban for two yellow cards, um, then it seems well, Masuako will get six back, yeah. six games, won't but, it? But don't you think, Mike? The problem lies with how the referees are, are not seeing what are you. I can't remember well, the, too many it. red cards going for really bad tackles. You see, and and for instance, somebody grabs a shirt, they get a yellow. They commit a foul, and as we were saying earlier, it could just be it's a foul, you give a free kick, mm. but because it's that guy, he gets a second yell and he walks. And yet, you keep seeing wicked late high tackles when it happens, and the referees don't recognise 
what they're seeing. They don't really spot the bad late tackle, where the ball is going, where the players go, where the well, fellas come in. This is why VAR, from. and we'll get to VAR later, I'm sure. Um, this is where VAR is good because yeah. if there is a, a red card incident and that can be used, a potential red card, then then we will we will. I that. usually use the reaction of players as a gauge. Yeah. Instinctively, they know when someone's yeah. mm. trying always. to do something. Not always, so sometimes players will appeal for anything. You know that, yeah. don't you? They will cheat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> player that's handballed the ball into the net will go off and celebrate. They won't instinctively look around and get all worried and, and own up to yeah. it. Um, so <laughs> you can't completely no. trust them. But I do, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, eight times out of ten, that, that's true. Yeah. Now, someone who's been talking about remaining honest is Antonio Conte. He said, I'm going to remain honest and tell it as it is. We're in probably, we're going towards the end game here, aren't we? Arrivederci, Antonio. <laughs> I mean, listen, the fact is, Chelsea have made... Well, there was one attempt with Jose Mourinho first time round where they started talking about long-term planning and the contracts. But fundamentally, you look at it and they're working on a, a short-term recycling of managers. They, managers or coaches, head coaches come and head coaches go. Mm -hmm. And to a certain degree, they've got away with it. It's worked for them. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the old uh, Fergie thing about get control of your club, get control of the boardroom, you know, make them do what the manager wants to do, that is not going to happen at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Have you been surprised by what's been going on? Well, there? I think if I was Ross Barkley, I'd feel a bit, bit gutted. I've just, I just yeah. signed for Chelsea. And, and, and he, he slaughtered used, him, didn't he? Well, he used Barkley as an example of how weak his bench was. Uh, whether he meant it as, as in I'm short of bodies or whether he meant it as in look at the quality I've got to choose from. He probably said that's not my player. Yeah, well, if saying. I'm Ross Barkley, I'm feeling quite offended at what he said. So not a great start for him. Uh, Mishi Bashwai, I think he's made it pretty abundantly clear that he didn't really rate him. Mm. He wants another striker instead of him, even though he scored and played pretty well at the weekend. So now he's, he, it's almost like the, the tactfulness has gone completely out the window for Conte. And the other thing is, Mark, if, if you were one of the, is it 32 or whatever, players out of Chelsea on loan somewhere else, supposedly to develop your mm. career, <laughs> I mean, where does that put you in the pecking order when you come back if Conte still but, but, manages? But yeah, I suppose he just thinks, well, I'll only keep the players happy I think I'll need uh, between now and whenever I leave. He's just obviously not bothered. He's just trying. Maybe he's trying to just rear up the players and get them, get them going. But but yeah, by alienating people like Bashwai and Barkley, Bashwai seems a really nice character as well. Mm. So you wonder in the dressing room what effect that might be having. Yeah, I think I, I still rate him as a as a tactical manager, mm. as a coach. But yeah, he's, uh, his dealings with players this season has been a bit poor, hasn't it? <laughs> he's, gone, he's gone for it. Hasn't his he? head's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about? Um, if you look at um, Chelsea as they stand, they will probably strengthen in the next couple of days. Jacko has been mentioned. Mm. Um, Be a good signing for... Yeah. Uh, knows, knows England, Manchester City background, played really well against them for Roma. Absolutely. And for, that type, for the teams, and I do think it's good to have the alternative, but... He, he can, he's the big target man, but before you dismiss him as a big lot, he has really good feet, he's good movement. Right. Yeah, he's not a fly machine, but he can finish and he, you know, I, I think he'd be a great He ripped signing. him, didn't he, in yeah. the Champions League, ripped Chelsea apart, he was really good. And if you look at his Premier League record, it actually stacks up well. Yeah. It's just that he was, his goals to games ratio is excellent. He was just, he was never going to displace Sergio Aguero. I think of all the names mentioned, Jekko's the right one. And, and, and yeah. we've just already mentioned, Chelsea work short term. They don't yeah. care that, that yeah. he'll be over the hill in a couple Funnily of years. Funnily enough, you know, if 
that's the key word if, if he'd rocked up at Everton last summer when they put the bid in for him, that could have been a different will for Ronald Koeman. Because mm. that was the sort of player that they were desperately needing mm. when they couldn't get Giroud out of, uh, out of Arsenal. He could have made a difference and they didn't get him. But he'd be good, honestly. Any Premier League team, if you're looking for that sort of striker, Dzeko is a good signing. Mm. Newcastle were, were abject at Chelsea. Mm. Well, it happened for weeks. What's going on <laughs> with Rafa? Should he go or should he stay? Oh, oh, I don't know. I think Rafa's getting away with it a little bit at the moment because the fans are still behind him, aren't they? They're still, mm. still singing his name. And I still believe that he is their best asset, Rafa. But that can only go on so long. What I would say at the moment is he's working with a championship squad. Is he extracting the best out of those players at the moment? I don't think he is, actually. He was earlier on in the season. Not anymore. So I think he's having a bad patch. Um, I think he would be better off leaving. And I know that, that wouldn't go down well at all with Newcastle fans. But I think he probably just needs to, to wipe this chapter because I just don't see them giving him the funds he needs to, to deliver the, the results they need. Very boring football at the moment. It's ultra defensive. He, he needs five or six new faces. He's not going to get them. Mm. So in his shoes, I'd, I'd leave. But, but I understand that he's got that connection now with the Magpies fans and, and that will make it hard. Newcastle got Burnley at the weekend. Mm. Um, that's an interesting case in point when we talked about managers and salaries Sean Dyche just signed his new contract he is the highest paid individual at the club mm. which always used to be the case absolutely it? yeah it's a very interesting dynamic there well now. I would say deservedly so to Sean Dyche for the work he's done and what he's getting out of that group of players you're spot on because I can remember having a chat with George Graham one day and George was of a similar mentality and, and, and achieved it at, at Arsenal that, you know, for what he was doing, that to have the, the impact he wanted and to be the controlling influence on so many parts of it, he wouldn't have players or any player being paid so much more than the manager that that player would appear to be able to call the shots. So I think in, in principle it's right, but it's a lot easier for Burnley to put in place than somewhere where you're trying to now attract yeah. the world's best players. He's earned his rise, Sean Dyche, hasn't he? He's totally deserved it, uh, but will, will he see his contract out? I doubt it, because in football, in life really, I think you've always got to push yourself and strive to, be, to operate at the highest level that you oh. possibly can. And... I think there's more more for Sean Dyche to give. I want to see Sean Dyche working with a more talented group of players to, to then see how, how top a coach he really is. But, but you know, I think, Adrian, what that contract does change is where would he go now? Because I think this basically says it's got to be one of what we'd think have been the top yeah. six clubs. And the other, Otherwise... thing, the other thing we haven't been told, and it'll be buried in a small print yeah. somewhere, is what his release clause was. Absolutely. <laughs> but I just think the percept... Bur Burnley have protected their asset really well but for Sean Dyche in his career maybe one day it will come round it's like okay Sean you've got to go but it, it is going to be to one of the elite clubs I don't know if they'll ever come in for him now I just don't, I don't wonder if that ship's out already I know it sounds silly because he's got many more he's not an old manager by any stretch of the imagination but Burnley on a personal level he's peak? the most impressive manager oh I rate him massively season. I think he's brilliant but there was a ceiling, isn't there, for what he can achieve with Burnley? I just wonder whether they were in seventh for all those weeks. 
I don't, I don't know if they'll ever get back to seventh. Mm. And it's will the man, will the chairman, the boards of, of these top clubs see beyond that when Burnley are sitting in 16th place? Will they then go for him? I don't know. Yeah. What about Arsenal? Would he end up there? Arsenal? <laughs> I don't think it's a natural fit. No. I mean, be, but I want to know in a way because is he just a manager that gets his teams organised and gritty and, and hardworking? Is he a Simeone type? Or with better players, would he play a, a different brand of football? Mm. I just don't think the Arsenal fans would, would want to alter the style of the football mm. too much. What's the mood of the place at the moment? You've got, it looks like, Aubameyang could be coming in, club record, 60 million. Wow. Yeah, ask me that question the day after the window closes and I'll give you an accurate answer. I think that they're on the edge, Arsenal fans at the moment. I think if Aubameyang comes in, if they get a defender in, maybe Johnny Evans, um, along with Mkhitaryan, I think people will be happy. I don't think the supporters are happy with the consistency of the team. It's been pretty mediocre, let's be honest, this season. Capable of brilliance. We've seen that in a lot of the home games against the big boys. And we saw it against Crystal Palace recently with that four-goal blitz in the first half. But, yeah, too many average performances too, too often. It, it has been a really, really frustrating season. Mm. I put my accountant's hat on, which <laughs> I don't do very often, I have to <laughs> say. Why pay £20 million for Johnny Evans now when you can get him for three million in the summer? Because you may think that you've got a free run of him for 20 million, and if you're going against the clubs when it's just put your wages on the table, mm -hmm. that people will outbid the Arsenal wages and the Arsenal wage 100%. scales. So for the 20 million it costs, and you actually say to the boy, well, we're paying 20 million for you now. The reverse, the way I would put it to you is, if you were Johnny Evans, would you be jumping into a transfer in the January? The other thing that I find quite intriguing, and I've, honestly, it's become a bit of a standing joke at work, is how many times the stories come out of West Brom of, we may have to sell Johnny Evans if we want to strengthen the team, and it's a bit like... <laughs> it's a come and get, get him, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in Johnny Evans' shoes, I'd, I'd jump at the move, not just saying it because it's Arsenal, but I'd jump at the move to a bigger club, whoever they were, on the basis that he could break his leg tomorrow. Mm. He, he, could, he could be on the wrong end of a, of a twist in the, in the ground that chance goes forever. So I think if he's got that opportunity to move, he would be wiser to take it take it this month. And, and I believe he would be Arsenal's best defender immediately. And I only say that because Lauren Koscielny, who I've rated very highly um, until this season, is not having a good season. He's I fallen think, off a cliff. I just, well, I just think his injury is catching up with him. He's got a chronic Achilles problem and it is affecting his, his performance level. So, yeah, for my money, he would instantly be the best defender at the club. You know, one of the things that happens, Mike, and I've, I've seen this as a comparison, we have a perception in English football that if a player's contract's running out in the summer, that he'll basically take it easy, make sure nothing goes wrong because I'm going to get the payday there. You've got to say, Italy, club like Juventus. Juventus had Ravinelli and Viali up front in a European Cup final, which they won, and they're both out of contract. You know, they actually accept this... Well, it's of... happening here, isn't it? If you look at it, um, Klopp talked about um, Chan. Yeah. Saying, basically, yeah, he's running this contract down. Yeah, it can happen. Right. And then, if he's delivering for you, and you've got to make, and I say, an independent, clear view of him... If he's playing well enough for you, you can't worry about that. That's, those are the circumstances we're living in. And if you want to sign Johnny Evans for Liverpool on a free, you've got to then make your choice on it. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Liverpool, I've uh, got some questions from the listeners and the viewers. Gosh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frustrated, I'm sure. Robert Whelan. Yes. With his apparent refusal to spend the cash reserves available to him, 
willful ignorance of the goalkeeper position and blindly backing a squad patently not good enough, is Kloppo just a more charismatic Wenger? No, he's not. I'll tell you why. Because for a number of years, Arsene Wenger established an Arsenal team who were the best, if not the top two teams in English football. So we end up frustrated by Arsene over the last seven years or whatever. So, but if you actually look at Arsene's impact from his arrival and then through mm. to the Invincibles, etc., he and well, that Arsenal team and Manchester United were way out as the best two teams in it. Klopp hasn't delivered that for Liverpool yet. So it's an unfair comparison in terms of Arsene Wenger. Yeah, you know, what he definitely. did. Things I mentioned earlier, the goalkeeping thing, I just find astonishing. I, honestly, I cannot believe that a man... And in German football, they've had some great goalkeepers mm. that he can think of trying to solve the problem area in the way he has. It's just not worked. Yeah, yeah I think he is, should be under pressure to, to win a trophy, shouldn't he? <laughs> He's, I mean, to go out of the FA Cup, out of the League Cup... Uh, Champions League. someone on the phone in say, sack him? That's nonsense. No, no, it's nonsense to sack him. I like him. Look, his record against the big boys is fantastic. It is stunning. But he got no plan B. I commentated on the game at Swansea the other day. Uh, they had one way of attacking and it didn't work. They just ran into a brick wall for of Swansea defenders. They had nothing else up their sleeve. And for that reason, he's got flaws, that, as well as the, the, the blindness to the defensive frailties and the goalkeeper. So, yeah, he's not the finished article, Klopp. Uh, should he be under massive pressure to win a trophy? Yes. I think next season he has to. Because mm, the FA Cup was his chance, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasted. Look, he, he might. With the luck of the draw, take Liverpool through to the semi-finals of the Champions League. They've got this big match temperament, haven't they? I can see them causing a big upset somewhere along the way. And, 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 a, and a Liverpool team far inferior to the current one, mm. barring the, the, the yeah. leaders of Carragher and Gerrard, yeah, um, won it. The, the weird thing is with him, I hope I can express it right, when you remember the good days of the good nights of Liverpool, you really think there's some intangible, hey, hey, he's nearly there, he's getting it. And, you know, there's an excitement level and the pitch they play at and it's the collective mm. and, and you think, oh, he's going to do it, he's going to make the breakthrough. And then just as much, you know, they could lose at Swansea <laughs> and guess what, they go and lose it. And it's, it's that mm. craziness, <clears> you know, <throat> that, that this... The unpredictability is now predictable. <laughs> I'll put this one on you from Parikh Barat, uh, Aid. Yeah. There are polls questioning if Mourinho deserved an extension. Yeah. Who else could come to United now and build it if not him? Ooh, uh, who, else, who could build Manchester United? I don't know. I mean, who, who else is there out there at the moment that's not in a job, really? I mean, you've got... Luis Enrique, I mean, the guy who did well at Barcelona. Link with Chelsea. Potentially, yeah. I mean, Ancelotti's at ageing. I can't see him being a builder of teams anymore. No, I, I don't think there are any standout candidates for the Manchester United job if, if Jose were to walk away tomorrow. I'd bring Fergie back. <laughs> uh, he'd probably come back, wouldn't he? He probably would, yeah. I, look, I, I, as we outlined earlier in the pod, I, th I think it's... Uh, the right decision for Manchester United. I can, I can see why some of the punters are like, he hasn't earned it. But uh, they did win a few trophies last year and, and they are clearly going in the right direction. Mm. And one thing we have worked out in the last few years, it's a heck of a hard club to manage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the size of the club and not just as a football club, the business entity, servicing the Glazer debt in there, you know, the way the club's been bought by them. The, those challenges you've got across the way... 
it is a huge, huge challenge. And then you still see things like, how can they not address having a women's football team? But yeah. they don't. You know, there's sort of flaws in there that leave you sort of baffled by the way the place is run. But actually, managing that club especially, and it is still in the wake of what Sir Alex achieved, it's a colossal task yeah. for anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned you know, women's football or lack of women's football mm. at Manchester United, which is completely logical. But also, we're talking about a member of the class of 92, Phil mm. Neville. Lucy Brooker says, what does the panel think about Phil Neville's appointment as England women's uh, team manager? Uh, he's being presented to the press today. Well, I think as a guy, Phil's a decent boy. I really think that his so-called humorous tweets, which were meant to be tongue-in-cheek, he deeply re regrets now, and they were foolish, and it's a bit like, how do you use social media? Be very careful what you put up, put up there that several years later could come back to haunt you. Mm. I have two issues with Phil's appointment, and the two negative bits I say are this. What has he done to justify being made manager of the England ladies team at that sort of senior level with no managerial experience? Yeah, he was an outstanding player, but we're talking with an FA coaching structure. And B, the FA internally have been going on and on and on for months about equality, respecting uh, people within the game, what their achievements are, what the qualifications are. Mm. They've gone on and on and had all these internal meetings and said, this must be met. You know, over diversity, etc., and then they come up with this, <laughs> and they let you know with respects to Baroness Sue Campbell out of UK Sport make the appointment on behalf of the FA. That's the bit I find bewildering. Man. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, a kick in the teeth for everyone that works in the women's game because he's been appointed on name. He's done. He, does he even? Uh, what's his background in women's football? Has he ever coached any girls? Has he coached any women before? How much football has he seen uh, in, in the Super League? Um, I think it is a really strange appointment. I did read the letter from Baroness Sue oh. Cambrick explaining the, the process, and it appears that they're, they're shortlist, all pulled out for various reasons. Well, why didn't they go to someone else on the, on the longer list rather than them parachuting in someone that's got zero experience I think the point, as a manager? The point that's been missed, Adrian is that women's football is a completely different game. Yeah. And that's not me looking at it from my perspective, a male perspective. I spoke to Emma Hayes, yeah. who's yeah. You know, a fantastic coach yeah. at Chelsea Ladies. She makes the point, the pitch is actually too big for them. Yeah, it's... So therefore, but it's also the psychology of a woman's player, the physiology, you know, with, very with different you know, the menstrual cycle and everything else that yeah. you have to deal with. You have to be very sensitive you can't just parachute into yeah. that blind. I like, I like Phil Neville, but it's a bizarre appointment. It's as simple as that. It's, it's, they parachuted him in from nowhere yeah. because he doesn't know the women's game. So I wish him well, but it's going to take a hell of a lot of, of learning on his part to get there. Vic Akers, one of the most successful managers in the history of women's football, uh, managed the Arsenal women's team for years and years, won multiple league titles. He's never managed in the men's game. It's, it, it's, he's never even come close to being asked to manage in the men's game. He, he's been the kit man for, for Arsenal. So um, it, it, they're different entities and, yeah, I don't get it. Right. We're running out of time. Just a, uh, a quick look. If, well, it will be a quite a quick look. <laughs> uh, Merv Payne, VAR, is that proof that we should be careful what we wish for? No, I think it's the beginnings with the raw edges that we can already see two or three things, such as the number of stadia with screens should be shown on the screen so the fans are there. The fact that 
even if you're not going to have the referee specifically mic'd up, the fourth official can say, and it can be put out in the stadium, we are looking at an offside on that. And so there is a communication to the spectators. One of the things, and I don't want it to get like rugby union where there's, you know, ten different versions of somebody trying to score the try, mm. but where the rugby lot have got it is the referee says... That is offside for this, and it can go round, and the fans know it, and the, the television watches. Well, what it? about interrupting the flow of the game? You know, the Liverpool game, yeah. over seven and a half minutes. Yeah, it was too long. It, yeah. the, the, in its current guise, it's too convoluted to get to the decisions. But we're getting to the right decisions, so that's a progress. Um, so I'm all for VAR. I think it, quite simple modifications needed. I would like, I'd like to say the screen to be used for the fans. Also, I'd like to hear the conversation mm. between the referee and the VAR referee. Uh, and actually, I would take the power out of the hands of the on-pitch referee. I hate the idea of him going to a, to a screen by the side of the pitch. I'll give all of the power to the VAR official to overturn. That, the that's what happened. They did a, a season secretly in Holland where it was done from a box at the stadium, so it wasn't back to a studio. They went down, set up, and there was a referee in the box or in the van outside watching the game. And literally, there'd be a shot, say, a player going to block it, and the, the, guy, the referee would be told, that's a corner. And the referee might go, oh, it's a go oh, corner, right? And then in the end, people realise the referee's never made a mistake, but it was instant to help him. So everything was being done. Now, you could say, well, who's refereeing the game? But if you're getting no mistakes within the laws of the game, surely that's a better position to be in. Well, I know mistakes will be avoided, but for me, part of football's beauty is its imperfection. They're turning it into a computer game. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.